Welcome to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me today, my friend Chad. How are you doing today, Chad? Hey, pretty good, Al. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. A uh, little tired. I stayed up late last night watching a movie, which we're going to be talking about today, and enjoying the nice weather we've been having this weekend. How are things in your neck of the woods? Hey, it was beautiful yesterday, man, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, it was um, sizzling like 43 degrees down here. Yeah, yeah, we were, uh, it's got to be pretty close to that. We were 43, 44, something like that. It was It was, uh, It was. was a beautiful day to be outside. Yeah, and it was supposed to, I think down, uh, down here anyway, we're also supposed to get to approximately 43, so about the same. So hoping to get out and enjoy some of this nice weather today. Yes, absolutely. So that is, the weather is not a topic we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about movies. And this is a series that I'm going to be doing on my podcast. Uh, so hopefully Chad will be coming back to join me for other episodes and I'll have other friends helping me as well. Not sure what I was going to call it. I was thinking of calling it, We it came from Netflix. And the reason I decided to do this series is since I signed up for Netflix, it's been nice because I've been able to catch up on TV series that maybe I haven't seen in a while. But there's also a lot of independent and I would even say obscure movies on Netflix as well as a lot of the classics. Is that one of the things that you also notice with Netflix or one of the reasons you enjoy it? Yeah, I like Netflix. Um, you know, I'm a big movie guy. I... Uh... And I love rewatching movies, so it's it's kind of nice. I mean, I've got uh, well over two hundred DVDs and Blu-rays wow. in my collection, <laughs> and uh, you know sometimes it's just easier to go to Netflix and put it on there instead of uh, <laughs> you know instead of walking over to the to the wall of movies and try to figure out what it is I'm going to watch. So yeah, and another thing I do like about Netflix is since it is web-based, you know, I can watch stuff on my smartphone. I can. You know, even like a lot of video game consoles, you know, like the Wii oh, yeah. and the Wii yeah. U, uh, they have their Netflix uh, apps that you can use for it. And we, my friend Dan, we talked a little bit about this when we did our episode on the console wars. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we thought that was one thing that we're probably going to see as, you know, the console wars keep going on and as new consoles keep getting released as we're probably going to see a lot of these online the online function tongue tied there online <laughs> functionality where it is designed to hook up to services like Netflix and Hulu so that's yep, one of the yep. so that's just one of the things i love is it it makes it easier to find these obscure movies and you know maybe sometimes you don't want to watch a big budget movie maybe sometimes i want to try to see a smaller movie so what are some of the types of movies that you usually like to watch well, I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan. I love comedies. Um, and if you ask my wife, the more slapstick, the better. <laughs> um, sci-fi, fantasy, a lot of – lately what I've been watching a lot of are TV shows that are like, you know, like the old X-Files. Okay. With the resurgence of those um, on Fox, you know, I went back and Netflix has the entire series. So I've been watching through that again. I'm big into documentaries. I love oh, watching yeah. the, the documentaries. Yeah, the documentaries, that's another reason I like Netflix is uh, sometimes they're kind of fun just to, you know, kill an hour or so. And so, yeah, and I like watching stuff about, like, you know, UFOs and... Oh, yeah, I'm 
UFOs, um, you know, for a long time, I was big into the 2012 phenomenon with the uh, with the Aztecs and the Mayans. No, or Mayans. I'm sorry, yeah, you're that's right. Okay. <laughs> and and you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But um, you know, movies, I'll watch pretty much anything. I'm not a big one into like the uh, hack and slash horror type flick. Yeah, but you I, give me you give me a good. Uh, what am I trying to say here? You know, a, well a good, well constructed horror movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, not something where, oh, let's see, the lights went out. Let's all go to the basement. You know. Oh, yeah, it's like there's this email, and around Halloween, I did uh just a short little fun episode where it, it was based on this email going around how to survive a horror movie. Okay. And it talked about all the cliches like you know if the lights go out. Don't go into the basement, and if you do have to go, use a flashlight, not a frickin' candle. Right. So, yeah, I I loved that email. So the yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I love my action adventure movies. Yep, uh, yep. One movie that I really liked, which I wasn't sure if I was going to get into or not, was National Treasure. You know, I like both of them, and actually, you know, in my opinion, National Treasure Two was better than the original. Yeah, I I liked. I said I enjoyed both of them. I think I liked the first one a little bit better because you didn't know as much to what to expect, whereas in National Treasure 2, you could kind of guess what where they were going to go with it. But yeah, both of those movies were really good. Uh, it's, like I said, the first one really reminded me of Indiana Jones. Uh, like yeah, Indiana Jones yeah I can see that, yeah. And I, of course, I love my sci-fi fantasy movies. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, we were about the same age, so both of us grew up in the 80s, which, you know, was just a wonderful time for that genre because we had stuff like, on the fantasy side, we had Willow and Labyrinth. Oh, and, yes. Uh, Lady Hawk was okay. It's not, not the best movie I've ever seen, but not the worst. Mm-hmm. And, of course, sci-fi, you know, we had Star Wars, uh, Terminator, Alien. But, yeah, I'm, I... I I think I'm on the same side with you with horror. I, I like catching the occasional horror movie. Mm-hmm. My problem with horror movies, at least a lot of the newer ones, is I think sometimes they rely a little too much on jump scares yep. and plot devices. You know, usually, it seems usually with a lot of horror movies, you can tell if someone is going to die or if someone's going to last until the end of the movie. Right, yeah, yeah, and it's... And I mean, you know what's gonna come. It's it's not a big um, surprise or surprise. Yeah, I mean, you know when a jump scare is coming, they it, it's just given to you. I mean, they give you the the music, the ever you know, and uh, I think that's a big uh, a big drawback on that too. Um, you know, my heart only works so well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I, I got to say, though, you know, when it comes to sci-fi fantasy, I'm I'm more of a Star Trek than a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. I really like the new movies. I know there's a bunch of people out there, especially the prequels. They're oh, like, yeah. oh, this is garbage. This is, And I'm like, did you want it to look like the ones from the 70s? Because, exactly. you know, though they're good movies, I don't want it to look like that. I mean. And the stylistic choices they made for the prequel, Star Wars prequels, does make sense because – and uh, I discussed this a little bit because a friend of mine and I, we did an entire episode just on Ep the Phantom Menace. And uh, there was. Which a... I love that movie. <laughs> wow. We're, we're on the same page on that. Usually, most of the people that I talk to about the Phantom Menace, and I think it's because for some people, it's trashing things you, you're not into just 
it's it's cruel mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. it's fun, but I enjoyed it as well. So I'm I'll, with you, brother. So I'll go one step further. Mm-hmm. I like Jar Jar Binks. He was yeah. I actually didn't mind him either, and because I understand he was there and as comic got, relief. He got so much hate from that movie. Yeah, I mean the oh yeah, I mean the, there were lots of anti Jar Jar photos I saw yep, on the internet yep. at that time. Like there was someone they photoshopped. Uh, they took us the scene of um, Darth Maul and Qui Gon Jinn when they were having their lightsaber fight in the desert, mm-hmm. and they photoshopped Jar Jar Binks in the middle so he was getting all hacked up and yeah, uh, yep. the Onion had a good article it's like retailers forced to clearance Jar Jar Binks merchandise uh, <laughs> they're like marking it down to as, as little as like five cents because it was clogging up the aisles yeah oh. but you know I, the thing I didn't like is was uh, Lucas's idea then to take and make Jar Jar the fall guy yeah that's because true. that as far as I understand, that was not part of the original plan. Here's a, here's a fan theory, and I'm curious how you would think about this. Okay. There, did you see the theory going around that Jar Jar Binks has actually may have been, been intended to be a Sith Lord? No, I had not seen that. It's a very interesting theory. Uh, I said if you look it up, there's the guy does an entire article about it. Mm-hmm. For exa- okay, for starters, we see him do all these acrobatic moves. And, like, remember the big battle scene near the end, he gets that robot arm with the laser blaster, and, you know, he's just kind of randomly moving his leg around, and it's still shooting things, and it's Mm -hmm. like, theoretically, something like that could only really be possible if you had the Force. Right, as a Force user, yeah. And they were comparing some of his his antics and moves to, like, uh, drunken kung fu. And (laughs) another thing that was interesting, and I... You notice he was, like, doing a lot of disrespecting of Qui-Gon behind his back, and he was doing this in front of uh, Anakin. So it's mm-hmm. almost like he was trying to imply, or try not imply, he was trying to teach Anakin to disrespect the Jedi from an early age. And, you know, a lot of times when he's talking, he's moving, doing a lot of hand movements, is what, what they do with the Jedi mind trick. Mm-hmm. And the author even went so far as to suggest that Lucas may, maybe... He was intending to have Dar or uh, Jar Jar be revealed to be a Sith Lord in the second one, because you notice with Christopher Lee. Don't get me wrong; I loved Christopher Lee, mm-hmm. awesome actor. Yep. But the character of Count Doku was kind of wooden. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the battle between Dooku and and Yoda. Um, you know, when you get more action out of a puppet than you do, (laughs) you know, and Christopher Lee, like you said, I mean, he's a hell of an actor. I'd, I'd watch just about anything with him in it. So, yeah. And and so they were saying that, or this guy's theory was that the Doku may have been a last minute addition because, and I think that would have been a real bombshell if at the end of that movie, uh, episode two, they did reveal that Jar Jar was this Sith Lord instead of you know, having Count Lee. So that, or I'm sorry, not Count Lee, uh, Count Doku. Count yeah. Doku. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's an interesting theory. So definitely look it up if you have the chance. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. But on to the subject at hand. Again, Chad <laughs> Oh, we're I, not, we're not talking Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk more, but we could probably do no, that's an entire okay. episode that's series okay. on Star Wars. Oh yes. One point you mentioned, which, uh, did you ever watch any of the documentaries about the prequel trilogies that came on the, the DVDs? 
No, no, I didn't. Um, actually, you know, I, I probably lose my nerd card for this, but I don't own any of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> oh, okay. That that's fine. I mean, yes, you like them. You know, if you watch them when you have the chance, and I guess this is an entire topic altogether. But the whole geek cred, mm-hmm. you know, it's like. Come on, you like if someone likes something, they like something. There's no need exactly. to be like, "What you don't like the same geek things I do?" Then, well, obviously, you're not a yeah, I, true I, I, geek. I never understood that, except in in one aspect of geekery, and that's if you're role playing. Mm-hmm. If you're going to sit down at a table, and you're not going to see me sit down at a Star Wars table, it's not going to happen because you know it 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 doesn't interest me. If I want to mm-hmm. go to space, I'm going to Star Trek. That's the only place I would say, and I'm not saying that that person's a bad person and like, oh, you play Star Wars? Well, I don't like you. No, it's just going to be like, you play Star Wars? That's great. Yeah. We'll talk after you're done. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you like, I mean, I've, I used to have the West End Games Star Wars role-playing okay. game, and yep. I used to have the uh, the Wizards of the Coast version that was based on D20. Yep. And... I guess I've, that I, I've actually played both of those, and that's why I can say with pretty certain confidence that I'm not going to sit down at that table again. You know? Yeah, and I think with Star Wars, it's just part of the problem. I think with playing a role-playing game based on a movie or TV series, there's too much of a temptation to try. I don't know if it's say temptation or an expectation of trying to recreate the movie or the the TV show it's based on. Mm-hmm. Yep. But since we got off tangent, which never happens on my show, uh, <laughs> yeah, really. Anyways, but when you were mentioning how the prequel trilogy looked so much different from the original, that mm-hmm. was intentional because, and it wasn't just the, the fact that the originals were made in like the late 70s, early 80s, and the prequels came in, you know, the late 90s. Right. It's because the original trilogy is supposed to look like a lived-in universe that has been through decades of war and conflict, mm-hmm. whereas the you know reason everything in the the prequel trilogies is all shiny and and new and sleek looking it's because it's supposed to represent a society that's at the top of its its prosperity so when you look at it from that perspective, the stylistic choices for the prequel and then the original trilogy does make sense. And I think oh, yeah. with the because I'm sure you've probably seen episode seven by now, right? You know, actually, uh, here, here's another little geek secret. I've seen it four times in the theater. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and and the reason for it is not because it's Star Wars. It's because it's just a damn good sci-fi flick. It is. It just is. I mean, my only problem with it is I think that in some points they relied a little too much on the plot points from the first one. And I, I know there is a filmmaking term for it when something's calling back to a, another mm-hmm. another film or something else in the series. I, I just don't remember it. But, like, for example, you, you know, early on in the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. do I really need a spoil alert considering that the uh, movie's been out for, like, two months, three months? No, at this point, <laughs> if they haven't seen it, it it's their own fault. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, you look, for example, at the start of the, of the movie, of Episode 7. Mm-hmm. You've got an astromech droid that is given an important secret by a member of a resistance movement. He's sent out in the desert to look for help. He gets captured and then gets rescued by someone who later turns out to be a powerful force user. Right, right. Where have we seen that one before? So other than that, 
being nitpicky. I enjoyed well, episode seven a lot. You know, and you can even do that. I mean, you can go one step further, and there's a lot of plot points in um, episode six that are a lot like episode four. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just one of those things. I don't know if you want to call it a throwback or, you know, Lucas just just the way he writes, you know, but I don't know. I, you know, I see the, I see the, um, the, the, uh, similarities, but I also look at it and I go, you know, there is new stuff in seven. It's like, you know, you end, you end the episode and, uh, you know, they had this whole thing online and, and interviews and stuff about Luke Skywalker. He's in the movie for 30 seconds. Exactly. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Before we started recording, I read uh, an article, uh, Daisy, you know, who played Ray. Mm -hmm. She was saying that it was actually kind of hard for her to really film that scene because she was dealing with some sort of sickness at the time. So it's like she had to walk up all these stairs. And it's like, yeah, she was like, I guess, throwing up between takes. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I don't know if you feel this way, too. I felt that... John, and I can never pronounce his last name, uh, Boyetta, the guy who played Finn. Right, It right. looked like he had really good on-screen chemistry with both Daisy and the guy who was playing Poe. So I think that I think that those three are probably going to give really good performances in the next movie. And uh, Yeah, I, I do too. And, and um, Harrison Ford, this is probably the best, the best uh, performance of Han Solo I've seen from him. You know, yeah, you know, I was worried about that, especially with the returning characters, you know, Han Solo, uh, Princess Leia, well, Chewbacca is kind of hard to not, not do right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, those characters, I, I was worried that, you know, Harrison Ford's going to come in and it's going to be like, well, okay, but he's not Han Solo, but he seemed to walk right into that. And like you said, even maybe bring it up a level from mm-hmm. what it was. And I, I think it's because he knew going in that this was going to be his last performance as Han Solo, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, again, this is something that I'm sure a lot of long-term Star Wars fans know, he really didn't want to do Return of the Jedi, which is right. why at the end of uh, of Empire Strikes Back, he was, they had him frozen in carbonite, where they kind of gave it where if he didn't come back, they had an out for the character. Correct. So, yeah, it's, it was my wife. I know when 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 they when we we saw Ben impale or Kylo, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. impale uh, Han with his lightsaber. She was like, <gasps> and she was. I mean, I knew he was going to die in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and here's one thing I read online: Did Kylo activate the lightsaber, or did Han activate the lightsaber? Hmm. I will have you know, to, I'll have to try to watch that movie again to see if it is. So are we getting into like kind of like did Han shoot first territory here? Well, no, no. What I'm looking <laughs> at is the opinion I've come up with is if Kylo did it, it may have been accidental. Yeah. But here's the thing: is as soon as he gets impaled, and Han reaches out, touches Kylo's face. I can't remember exactly. I think he calls him Ben or mm-hmm. says something. And then, and Kylo says, thank you. Right. And then he has the dramatic fall down the chute, whatever. Yeah. But I think that Han just trying to be dad knew what Kylo needed in order to make this, this transition into what he's going to become. Hmm. And I think that by him being kind to Ben and, 
and giving him what he wants, it leaves it open later on in the series for a change of heart, you know, like the Darth Vader change of heart. Yeah, that that is true. And another uh, thing about the episode seven, and this is just an opinion I read on on the an article someone wrote on the internet. You know how a lot of people like to say, "Oh, the prequels ruined the original trilogy for me." Mm-hmm. There was one guy who wrote a blog post where he was saying that episode seven ruined the original trilogy for him because you think about it during the original trilogy we look at all the struggles that luke and leah and han go through and then we see episode seven and it's like this is what awaits them you know okay Mm -hmm. they they struggle to you know bring freedom and justice to the galaxy and then 30 years down the line it's like the cycle is going to repeat itself you know luke is in isolation because he feels guilty over the fact that he lost Ben. Yep, he lost his nephew and then all of the, the, the people he was training. And I don't know. So I can kind of see his point, but I still, despite that, I still did enjoy Episode 7, and I am looking forward to Episodes 8 and 9. Right. Oh, yeah, I am too. I You know, if nothing else, from being a fan of sci-fi, I'm looking forward to him. That's true. So speaking of sci-fi, since I, I know we've rambled, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Like I said, we get off topic on my show all the time. But So the series that Ben is going to – Ben, uh, why did I almost call you Ben? It's because we were talking about uh, – you know, Kylo. Yeah. But okay, the series that Chad and probably other friends of mine are going to be helping me with is – as I was thinking of calling it, it came from Netflix. So the purpose is to try to encourage people to search out obscure – independent movies on Netflix and maybe we might branch into other things like TV shows and documentaries. But uh, my wife was saying, well, maybe you might want to consider a different name because then you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into Netflix. So I was thinking maybe like, okay, two guys, one film, but, or maybe two geeks, one film, something like that. I don't know. But like I said, I'm going to try to do more of these types of episodes. So the, movie that both Chad and I watched last night was called Robot Overlords. Uh, So as the time that we're recording this, it is available on Netflix. The synopsis is, In a future where Earth has been conquered by robots from a distant galaxy, a young man joins the resistance movement to combat the invaders. The main cast is Ben Kingsley, uh, Gillian Anderson, and Callan McAuflo. McAuflo? McCoffley? Yeah, I think that yeah, that's probably how it's pronounced. Um, it has a PG-13 rating, and the current rating I'm seeing for it is it looks like it's a little over three stars. So, now I, I recognize Gillian Anderson, of course, having her, with from her work on the X-Files. I right. recognize the name Ben Kingsley, but I couldn't really say what... I'm not sure what movies he that I've seen that he's been in. Yeah, um, yeah, he looks familiar to me. The one I know I've seen, well, actually two movies I've watched that I've seen him in is Hugo, mm-hmm. and he was also in the Schindler's List. Okay. Oh, yes, one thing we should probably mention before we begin, since we are going to be design- discussing movies, spoiler alert, so anyways, <laughs> as you were saying, Chad. <laughs> so um, I've seen his work before. Um, and I, I think he's a relatively talented actor. He's, um, well, when he did this movie, he would have been in his early seventies already. So, I mean, I, I hope I look that good when I'm 70. <laughs> yeah. And I think that he has a really good villain look to him. So I thought he did really good for the role. Um, yeah. 
and again, to go back to when we were talking about Star Wars, because I don't, uh, for Kylo Ren, the guy who played him, Adam Driver, are you familiar with any of his work? Or I'm not. I'm not. That was the first time I've ever seen the guy. Because my wife, when we had HBO, she used to watch a series called Girls, and he's okay. one of the characters in there. I was actually very skeptical because it, the character he played in the few episodes I've seen of that, he's kind of a jerk and kind of a whiner. So I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to pull off the Kylo Ren character. But now that I understand a little bit more about him, that character, I think he did a good I, – I thought he was a good good choice for it. So. Yeah, especially since in Episode Seven he was kind of a whiner. <laughs> that is true. Oh, yeah. I mean there's been a few good memes where – you know, there's a oh, scene yeah. where yeah. he gets upset and he starts hacking apart something in that room with his lightsaber. And you see the two you know, stormtroopers walk up. They see what's going on and then they turn around and walk the other way. Yeah. It's yeah. like, nope. But – Back to Robot Overlords. Uh, hopefully we won't digress too much longer. So what were you expecting when we went into Robot Overlords? Well, you know, your, your first impression is when you see that picture on Netflix, you know. What's this going to be? I thought, knock off, you know, Transformers gone bad. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of under the impression there's, I believe it's Asylum. They make the these they call them mockbusters were okay. essentially movies that were obviously inspired by another more popular movie. They did one called Transmorphers, obviously a Transformers ripoff. That's what I was expecting to. I was expecting it was going to be something like Terminator or uh, Transmorphers where you're definitely having these man versus robot scenarios but I was expecting a more blasted out landscape like we saw in the future scenes in Terminator with people being blown to bits by large robots with guns. So when we actually started watching the movie, did you find yourself surprised at all? Uh, yeah. Um, one, it was it was actually a relatively well put together movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that kind of that kind of shocked me, uh, to be honest. You no, know, yeah, I, I I found it to be a good movie, and that shocked me. Uh, as far as what happened in the movie, eh, it's it's a pretty standard, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a in a future Earth where you know he's been conquered by robots. It's kind of what you expect to see. Yeah, exactly. In a world where humans have been conquered by robots. Yeah, so. exactly. It, it's one of those. Okay, I know what's going to happen here. It's going to start out. The robots are going to be in charge. Everybody's going to be under the thumb of the robots. And then, you know, the resistance is going to come in and save the human human race. With guns blazing. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, or, or spitfires, as the case may be. Yes. So the major plot point. So, okay, we've got robots. They've taken over the Earth. And in the intro, they were saying that this war only took 11 days. Um, the Which, speaking of... You know, we talked about documentaries on Netflix. There is one that I saw a while ago. Where I'm not sure if it's still there. It's called When Aliens Attack. So it kind of reminded me of that documentary I saw, which it was like, theoretically, what would happen if the Earth was invaded by aliens? How would we react? How would a war between us and a technologically superior force, how would that play out? Mm-hmm. So I that just kind of reminded me of that. But anyways, to carry on. So they must have did something terrible because, uh, I don't know if you caught this or not, but near the end they were saying that there were only one billion people left. Right, right. The, 
the date isn't really clear, but there is one of the characters that's fiddling with a PlayStation, and he does call it a PlayStation. And right. It looked like it was a PlayStation Three. I'm. I they only showed like a quick glimpse of it, and, and I'm going to take your word on that because I'm not a console player. But okay, so <laughs> like I said, if that if that would put this film, you know, the invasion taking place, you know, maybe a few years before the present day, yeah, if it if it went from six seven billion people to one billion people, mm-hmm. yeah, they must have did something nasty. But well, you know, the the thing, the one thing that caught my my um mind was you know the mediators talking mm-hmm. and says you know we're only here long enough to study the human race and then we'll be gone never to return and robots never lie so and robots never lie <laughs> and what's what's the one thing that they do everybody has to stay inside exactly because how how do you study human race if you go okay stay in your house yep you know because to the mediator he's a robot that looks like a small child Yes. And uh, he will we'll talk a little bit about the plot points um, as we go on here. But, yeah, as Chad mentioned, people have to stay inside. And if they start, if they leave their house, they're almost immediately confronted by one of these large robots who tell them that if you don't get back to your home, we're going to shoot. And it basically when someone gets shot, they literally explode into nothingness. Yeah, they vaporize. Yep, and the reason that they can do this is because the human characters have an implant behind one of their ears, and that's how they they track the people. However, the main characters in the story, there's a group of four young people. Uh, Sean is the main one. There's another character, Alexa, Alex. Alexandria. Yep. I didn't catch the name of the other two, but there's another Uh, teenager. There's Nathan, and then the young boy was Connor. Okay, so they're, you know, so you got these four young people that are trying, well, their main thing is they're trying to find Sean's dad. Right. But they end up being the heroes of this movie. So uh, they accidentally discovered how to short out their, these monitors that the aliens placed behind them. So that allowed them to move around freely for... I think they said like it shorts out for about 12 or 13 hours. Yeah, that's what that's that's the feeling I got. <laughs> so um, they have so they carry this battery with them and this little device that they hook up to it so that way when their thing starts going, you know, starts going back online, they can short it out again. I think it's funny how much charge they get out of that 12 volt battery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're throwing people across the room with it. Yeah, it's the magic of Hollywood. I mean, I well, actually, not Hollywood, because this was actually made in uh, the United Kingdom. So the magic of, I don't know what the major filmmaking center in the Yeah, I have UK no idea. Is, London, maybe? Yeah. Probably London. We can call it the magic of London. So. There we go. <laughs> but So anyways, um, the uh, we also meet another group of humans called the Collaborators, which serve as the... The, the in-between link between the normal people and the the robots. So uh, we find out that the collaborators have almost a, a special status because the we, the robots they are essentially they're they're looking for human ideas because they mentioned that in the film. So I thought that was kind of strange how they're like they they just wanted to get their ideas mm-hmm. and Sean. He 
okay, they're, they're, the kids are breaking into this school to try to find information on Sean's dad, they yep. get caught. And there's this device that they put the, him in where they take out the little monitor and they put something else in instead, and this machine scans them for their ideas, but then they... And the, the kids witness uh, another man going through this. The problem is when they scan you for these ideas, you immediately fall into a coma, so you're going to die in a couple of days. Yep. So that's one of the things they find out is that, uh, and this is mentioned late in the movie, but what the aliens are doing, yeah, they're not going to, technically they're not going to kill the human race. They're just putting everyone into comas. And they. that's when we find out that there's only a billion people left because they figure okay how long is it going to take for them to put a billion people into a coma right right and sean however when he's hooked up to this machine i i did it look did he kick the guy who was who was operating it or no there's some sort of force field Mm -hmm. that when they're scanning um go around and for some reason he he was able to get inside robin smythe's head and made him walk in to kind of yell at him and it was like that force field hit him and yeah. knocked him. And then and then he grabbed a handful of wires and pulled them out. And therefore, that's how Sean survived the process. Yeah, and it's, uh, eventually he finds out that he can now interface with the machines. And they show him controlling one of these huge, I think they call them the sentries. Those are the bipedal ones that had the huge gun yep. arm. Yep. And now when I just saw, is it just me when I saw that? It's like, okay, I wonder if this person was inspired by the Matrix at all. By the Matrix. Yeah, because, you know, Neil, later on, oh, he's yeah. the one. Oh, you mean gained... supply, or uh, you mean the the, uh, the ability to control the robots? Yes. Cause... See, and that was one thing I wish they would have went deeper into, because it's like, okay, he can control the robots now, but why, how, you know? I think they explained it, again, they did it very briefly, where it was like only a line or two of dialogue, so if you if your attention was distracted for like a half a second, you would have missed it. It had something to do with the fact that when they put you in this machine to to scan your ideas, they called them, or I think they called it doing a deep scan. Yeah. You direct you're interfaced into the network, and then at the end of it, that's when you know you just fall into this coma and eventually die. But since Sean didn't go through the full process, he eventually gained the ability to interface with their network. But uh, since the the series didn't complete. Not the series. The process didn't complete. That's how he was able to survive and be able to do this, you know, whole interfere interfacing with the machines thing. So, like a lot of these robot invasion, alien invasion movies, of course, eventually they manage to defeat it. Except Sean is pretty much the one who's responsible for it, right? Because uh, he got he manages to get inside uh, the mediator. Yep, and then he basically tells the other. Uh, you know, these other ships that they had to basically fly up into the atmosphere and self-destruct. Right. Now, if we want to go from a very scientific perspective, I'm not sure if that would necessarily be the best idea because now they've got these chunks of robot spaceship falling back down to Earth. Right. And even if they go into, you know, space, let's say, so it doesn't fall immediately, eventually they're going to come out of orbit too and fall, especially if they're in a low space, you know, Lower Earth orbit, yeah. Yeah. Well, can we go back to Star Wars for a sec? Sure, why not? Because <laughs> you, you can never talk too much about Star Wars. So, anyways, did you ever hear of the Ewok extinction theory? 
No, but I I know where you're going with this, and it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because uh, when they blow up, the, there's a theory, again, a fan theory floating around that when the Death Star was blown up, that you know these pieces would have eventually fell back to Endor, and they wouldn't have they wouldn't have disintegrated enough in the atmosphere, so they would have ended up wiping out all the Ewoks. So right, right. Maybe there's a reason Disney decided to have that non-canon. <laughs> yeah, so. you know, I there's that, but. I don't know. I, uh, you know, it's that whole suspend belief thing. It's like, are are you really going to disbelief? Yeah. I mean, are you really going to go and go, oh man, now the Ewoks are dead because of this when it's just like, but the good guys won. (laughs) Yeah. That if, if we left return of the Jedi thinking that all the, the Ewoks are dead, that would kind of really make that. What was that song? Nub Nub or something that they were Yub Yub that they were singing at the end. Yep. That would kind of make that cheery little tune a funeral dirge. So yeah, maybe it's a good (laughs) thing that, because I I said it's a theory and I think they, some of the Star Wars comics that came after, they did mention it here and there. Mm -hmm. And of course, Disney decided that anything that doesn't happen in the Star Wars stuff they make or the movies is non-canon, but we're not going to get into that right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother episode or six. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, and then, of course, at the end, I think it does leave room for a sequel, though I don't think they would make one. Uh, mm-hmm. the, because, remember, the moderator says that it wasn't over and robots never lie, and it should, right. at the end, it has Sean looking up into the stars. Right. You know, after, of course... You know, I... The one thing that I thought was uh, kind of funny, and to to invoke Star Wars one more time, <laughs> is after the mediator falls off of the uh, the device, um, the robot that Sean's controlling at the moment, and he falls to Earth and he breaks in half, you know, all of a sudden, all these sentries that were with uh, uh, yeah. Smythe, there, there's one Spitfire flying around shooting at him, and they shoot like... Stormtroopers. They yes. can't hit a damn thing. <laughs> yep. And you notice, again, talking about Star Wars, when the Mediator fell off that ship, he was split in half like like uh, Darth Maul was. Yep. And, you know, when the, the alien ships are all defeated, all of these big sentry robots all of a sudden compact and, you know, transmorph into these little cubes, kind of like the uh, battle droids at the end of Episode 1. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe exactly. This- I was going to say that that was my that was my transformer moment. They all became a big block of metal. Yeah, you know, <laughs> m- maybe my assumptions about this movie ripping off the Matrix were incorrect. Maybe it ripped off more from Star Wars. I but, think there's uh, an argument either way. Yeah, because and I think when, when you talk about especially something like Star Wars, I mean that it's become a cultural phenomenon. And it's gone on to spawn comics and video games and stuff. And, of course, the ill-fated Star Wars Christmas special. But we're not going to go there. Um, I've never seen the Star Wars Christmas special. I've seen bits of it. Uh, There's a website, uh, The Nostalgia Critic. He does an episode on it. So it's hilarious. Watch it if you have a chance. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so those are some of the major plot points of the movie. What are some of the things that you liked about Robot Overlords? Uh, let's see. What did I like about Robot Overlords? Like I said earlier, it, it was a well-put-together movie. It was, you know, for being an independent, basically, I thought it was really well put together. It also seems to be um, the director, and I can't think of his name right now. It seems to be his first movie. 
Uh, let me check uh, my Netflix thing. Um, yeah. John, um, it's uh, see director John Wright. Yeah, John Wright. And when I looked him up on IMBD, they didn't have any other movies under his credits. So oh, it seems for, to be it seems to be his first movie. That is, um, yeah, that possibly, and if it was his first movie, it actually turned out pretty good. So yeah, you know, um, I also, you know, surprisingly enough. Um, the, the kid actors impressed me, um, especially the, uh, young boy who played, um, Connor. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of times, and, and, you know, going back to Star Wars, you get those kid actors and it's, it's really hard to watch sometimes, but this Milo Parker, um, that's who played Connor, Milo Parker. He, I thought he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. He did. Yeah, all four of those kids. And, you know, I just thought of something. Maybe another movie that this either drew inspiration from or I wouldn't say ripped off. Uh, Red Dawn. Because essentially in that one you've got – the protagonists are a group of young kids that have to fight against uh, an invading army. So – but anyway, sorry, little aside. That's another thing I thought when I saw this. It's kind of like Terminator meets uh, Red Dawn. But anyways, okay, uh, I can see that. Yeah, I I agree. The kids, I thought, did a really good job. One of the things I I really liked Ben Kingsley's performance. He definitely can play a good villain. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The other thing I really liked about it is it's a different setting because a lot of the alien or invasion or robot takeover flicks I've seen, they all take place in the U.S. Especially Los Angeles. Yep. And usually it, they're very – they have a certain style to them. They yep. are usually very dark, where this one, it takes place in, in – I think it was supposed to be Scotland. Yeah, so, but it's like – and, and, and it, wherever – it's some small you know, countryside town. Yeah, I um, – You know, you look at it, there's a few shots from the air. It's like you, know, you don't know how many people are there now because of the, the extinction problem, but it's like – you know. 15,000 people max. Yeah, because – and that's one of the things I like too is it, it – you didn't have this blasted wasteland Mad Max desert landscape. It was yeah. still very lush and very green and untamed. And again, it didn't take place in a major city. Just as you said, it was a small town. I remember there was a shot earlier in the film where they showed it, it looked like an air, like a airliner that was in the ocean in a ruined cityscape. Yep. But that was the only real ruined cityscape I remember seeing. I mean, when we switched to that small town, yeah, yeah it's it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a little worn down because, of course, there's not going to be, you know, sanitation patrols going around because people are supposed to stay in their houses. Right. Well, and that was the other thing that caught my eye um, a couple times is, okay, so we're supposed to be in this, you know, nobody's allowed outside. But the lawns and the hedges were beautiful. It's like The Walking Dead. (laughs) One of the things that people complain about with The Walking Dead, it's like, who's cutting the grass? Right, yeah. The other thing I liked, there were a few little comic relief moments I liked. uh, Because when the Mm -hmm. kids were – well, here's another plot hole that they don't really address, I think. If everyone's supposed to stay in their house, how are they getting food? I mean, does there like an? Oh, they do. They did address that Um, at one point early in the movie when uh, uh, Mister Smythe, Robin, is sitting there and talking with Kate right after Connor's dad got killed. Yep. He says, you know, and uh, the one kid called him a collaborator, and they call themselves the VC or the VOC or something like that. Yeah. 
um, they uh, he says, you know, we keep you healthy. We keep food on your table. You know, okay. a little respect for me and my and my, you know, people or whatever okay. you call them. Now I remember the scene you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, that's so apparently they have some kind of delivery service, I guess. But one of the comic relief moments I liked was the when the, the four kids discovered that they could short out their uh, their implants. And, yep. you know, they go to this one store where there's like candy and soda and they're going at it it's like oh great a bunch of teenagers on a sugar rush yeah well you know and and the other part part of that same scene earlier on is after they're like they're like we can go outside and then they spend the next three minutes of the movie dancing in the attic yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that i def those are some things i really liked about it oh yeah then when uh sean discovers that he has the ability Mm -hmm. to control the robots it's like yeah. the other teenager kid is like, make it scratch its balls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was funny. And then he's and then he says something. Oh, he's trying to make it do like the the air hump. Yeah, thing. exactly. And then it ends up shooting at him, and it yeah. kind of ends the comedy <laughs> moment. But yeah, it's like you know, make make him do that 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 uh, rock star you know air hump thing. And yeah, and it's like and and it's kind of like the robot draws the line. It's like I'll scratch my nuts, but I won't do that. You know. Yeah, and I I think the other uh, the. Again, the fact that it was it was a British film, yep. I think really influenced not just the scenery but the actors because if this was well, if this film was made by an American company instead, what do you think it would have been like? How do you think that? Do you think it would have been essentially the same, or do you think there would have been differences? I, I definitely there's there's definitely a difference when you look at movies made around the world, and I think uh, with an American. If it were American made, I think it would be one. I think it would be bloodier. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think it would be let, I mean, it was really done in a way that even when the kids telling it to scratch its balls, it wasn't obscene yeah. and American filmmakers like to make things obscene mm-hmm. because as we all know, sex sells. Yeah. And I think that if it was American there, yeah, it would have been more violent. And when the yeah. robot shot someone, I think there would have been a lot more robots shooting people, but I think instead of just kind of exploding and being vaporized, the people probably would have exploded into a pile of chunky salsa. So yeah, exactly. Yep, I, I agree. It would be it would be a lot. There'd be a lot more blood splatter. I yeah, mean, I think in, of, in a movie where there was none, it would have been it would have been horrible. Yeah, and I think part of it is, as I said, I'm not sure exactly what the entertainment standards over are in the United Kingdom, but I know they they do have some differences. Like, I mean, you remember, well, did you know when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was brought over there, did you know they changed the name? No. Yeah, the, in England, it was called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because they felt that Ninja, it had too violent of a connotation for okay. something that was supposed to be a kid's show. So apparently, yeah, they edit out Michelangelo's nunchucks, or they replaced it with a grappling hook, but Donatello's swords are okay. Or not huh. Donatello, Leonardo's swords, sorry. Okay. But And, well, Donatello had the... Uh, the staff. The, the staff, and then Roth had the size. I'm surprised they didn't put those out, because those are truly, you know, ninja-type. Yeah. I wonder if it's just because maybe people in the UK, they're just not as much into the violence and gore. Because uh, a friend of mine... I have a friend who does another podcast, and he was saying that, yeah, a lot of times if you look at 
stuff in England, they usually don't show as much of the blood, but they're more open about sexual things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that, yeah, it's something I think it's uh, always one of the reasons it's always interesting to watch these foreign films is because different countries are going to have different standards and they're going to use different themes than American films would. Right. So now, um, another thing I found uh, particularly um, good in this movie was Gillian Anderson's accent. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she was born in Chicago, so she's not British at all. And and not only did she have an accent through the whole movie, but it was the same accent. Yep. A lot of times you can hear people doing accents, and they change throughout the movie. You can tell, you know, that the scenes were shot at different times. Yep. What are some things you didn't like about Robot Overlords? Um, it got bogged down in places at times. I thought, I thought certain scenes went on too long. And even though it was funny, one of the scenes I thought that went on too long was these kids stuffing their face with candy. Yeah, that's true. Because in my head, I went, that Coca-Cola is at least three years old. Yeah, you it's... know, <laughs> should you be drinking that? Exactly. I and mean, in... I mean, as, as a, as a, um, you know, as a human being, I get it. I haven't had Coke in three years. There's one. I'm going to try it, I guess. But that, that part of you again in the back that that goes, uh, should I be drinking a three-year-old Coke? <laughs> okay, it says it should have been used. Uh, it expired a year ago. Yeah, and I, yeah of course, I, I know. But I did think that was kind of a lighthearted scene. One of the things I really didn't like about it, the camera work was really shaky in a lot of places. Now, I can see how sometimes you might have a lot of camera shake for effect, mm-hmm. but there were just a lot of places where I don't know if they were just maybe they were using a lower tech camera where it didn't have the steady option. But it's possible, you know, or if they couldn't afford a tripod or something. I don't know. The, but you know, it was no Cloverfield, so that is true. Oh, yeah. Well, Cloverfield, we have to. That is specifically something. That has to do with the film that, you know, people are filming this on like their smartphones. Well, no, they had a video camera, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was it was like a handheld video camera. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love I, I love and hate that movie. I, I went and saw it because I'm a big Cthulhu fan, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, it's a Cthulhu movie. And you get there and you see the monster finally and you're like, how could you say that's Cthulhu? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, again, I, I digress. But I got so sick watching that movie, too. Yeah, and I there were a few parts where, again, I was starting to feel a little woozy watching it just because of the camera shake. Um, the only other thing I really had to complain about the movie is that I thought the first part of the movie was a little slow, mm-hmm. but it really started to pick up and become more enjoyable near the, you know, from the midway point till the end. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing I, I I didn't like the way they developed some of the relationships, mm-hmm. like um, the 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 Ben Kingsley uh, character uh, uh, Robin mm-hmm. obviously had a thing for Kate, but yes. only in passing do they ever mention it. You know, that's true because obviously they do show that he does have this romantic interest in her, but. It's not really a central plot or a central thing. Right, to and the I movie. think they I, I think it could have been used in a much better way than it was used. Yeah, but. it's because of that interest so that we find out that the collaborators have this special privilege because he mentions that, you know, the robots they're basically gonna you know, wipe out most of the human race 
but they are going to allow a few, uh, you know, a few collaborators. Few, yeah, yeah, they're going to allow them to survive with immunity, and then, you know, they're going to give them uh, certain areas of land as a reward. So right, like he had a hundred square miles in Tasmania or something. Yeah, and another thing I didn't really like is. It would have been nice if they did explain why the robots needed human ideas. Right, right. Or I, is it more of a – well, you know, I, I the, the, the board cubes that they used, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if it's more of a, of a, you know, hearkening to Star Trek. Is it a Borg thing? They're just assimilating ideas to make theirs that much better? That is – maybe – Maybe the uh, maybe these aliens did go visit a a Star Trek world, and that's maybe why they got the idea for the board cubes. Right. So, you know, okay, so this movie draws inspiration from The Matrix, Red Dawn, yep. Star Wars, and Star, Star Trek. Tra- <laughs> At so, least, yes, exactly. But you know, like they say, everything that's been done in Hollywood or is being done in Hollywood has already been done in Hollywood, and, yeah. and to a certain degree, that's true. I mean, look at the number of of reboots and remakes in the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah, it's like, I mean, how they're rebooting the Star Wars thing, and I guess they got plans to reboot it again in a few more years. Uh, part of it, I think, has to do with licensing, because mm-hmm. with with uh, Fantastic Four is a good example. I mean, you've probably heard about the the Fantastic Four movie that was made in the 90s. Yep, and it was horrible is what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, and the reason that it was so terrible is because the well, – this is what I heard anyway – is that the company that was going to make it, they again, they had the rights to use the Fantastic Four. However, they didn't quite have enough money to make the movie they wanted. So in order okay. to keep the license, they basically had to slap together a movie even if it looked crappy. And then supposedly it was the same thing with the – the more modern one, which came out in, was it 2004 or 2005? Mm, that sounds about right. Yeah, so again, the same thing where they just wanted to make a movie so they could keep the license until they had the budget to make the new one. And then, of course, they came out after Rise of the Silver Surfer. There was the the new one that they made, and I haven't seen it, so I, I've heard it's not the best movie. But Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of them. Uh, of the three that you've talked about, but um, I, I've heard bad things about yeah. them. And I think, and I understand that this kind of stuff probably happens a lot in Hollywood where, yeah, they've got the license rights and in order to use it or to keep it, they have to use it after so many years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they'll basically be like, like for example, uh, have you watched a lot of the Hellraiser movies? I've seen the first one. Because did you know there's actually nine of those movies? I did not know that there was nine movies with, uh, what they call them, Pinhead? Yeah, there's, uh, there, I think most of them are still available on Netflix. But okay. Again, it was the same thing where it's like, the and the, the problem with the Hellraiser movies as they, as they start to get, you know, move on, a lot of the later ones aren't as good as some of the earlier ones. And the, the latest in them, uh, Hellraiser Revelations, is terrible. And I heard that it was basically put together in very short time and not even, uh, what was the name of the guy that played Pinhead? Um, Doug Bradley or something like that? You got me. I have no idea. But yeah, I guess he saw the script and is like, 
I'm not doing this. <laughs> so they had someone else play Pinhead and just, I said, the movie was terrible and it's because they wanted to keep the, you know, the film company wanted to right. keep the Hellraiser rights. So they had to basically, for lack of a better term, out a Hellraiser movie in order to be able to keep the, to keep the licensing rights. And so yeah, if you, if you're into it, I you know, certainly take a look at some of the other Hellraiser movies. Some of them aren't really, they're not, bad but they're not mm-hmm. exactly great it's so, it's like any of those movie franchises that seem to go on too long mm-hmm. uh you know a nightmare on elm street i was 12 years old when i saw the very first one you know a nightmare on elm street scared the living bejesus out of me you know yep. and by the time you get to the fifth movie it's like this is funny <laughs> yeah and uh, that's one of the complaints i've heard people do have about uh, the Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare movies is, yeah, they turn they turn Freddy Krueger from a child molesting murderer, you know, a truly despicable human being, right. into basically a wisecracking slasher villain. It just didn't work. So. Yeah, you know, and they did the same thing with oh, what was the one um, the Jason movies? Yeah, um, Friday the Friday 13th. the Thirteenth. They did it the same thing happened there. The same thing happened with you know, Mike Myers, all these movies from the eighties that scared the living hell out of us turned around to be these, uh, like you said, slapsticky comedy things, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I think that's one of the reasons I'm just not really into the, the slasher films. And we talked a little bit about this before is a lot of times they do become too predictable where, right. Uh, you know, okay, a, a boyfriend and girlfriend go out into the woods to, you know, have premarital sex Gee, what do you think's going to happen to them? Right, right. So, or you know, I think it was one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. It was it was so weird because it's like they're they're out in the cabin in the woods again, you know, mm-hmm. and they're talking about what had happened to these other kids in a cabin, you know, five years ago in the same cabin, and they're talking about it, right? Yeah. The lights go out. They're running around the house. They get upstairs. Somebody's head is in the toilet. So what's the first thing you do? You go to the basement? Yeah. I'm sorry. I find my buddy's head in the toilet. With a candle, of course. Yeah. It's like, I find my buddy's head in the toilet. I'm going to go find a cop. Exactly. So, well, we can't always, you know, no, I guess it's because of this, for the sake of story, you can't always expect them to, people to behave rationally. So, right, right. overall, what did, you, what, did you, what did you think of Robot Overlords? Did you... Do you think it's a kind of movie you would recommend to people, or is it one that, eh, you can probably skip it? Well, you know, as far as that goes, um, I I would recommend it. I, I wouldn't put it, you know, I'd say, this needs to go on your Netflix list, you know. I wouldn't say, go watch it now, mm-hmm. you know, but I would say, you know, if you're looking for a good, lighthearted, sci-fi, you know, flick, check it out. Yeah. Um, I, I, def- I agree. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I would... I would recommend people, you know, see if they have the chance. And one of the reasons is if uh, you're into role-playing games and you're looking for inspiration for a robot invasion, post-apocalypse type campaign, I think this movie could actually provide some good uh, campaign fodder. Oh, yeah. Uh, Especially if you take the, you know, again, how one of the major plot points is everyone has these, uh, these implants that allow the machines to track them. These ridiculously large implants. (laughs) Yes. So that could be one thing that you could really easily work into a campaign. You have to find a way to 
short out these implants and then, you know, through trial and error, the characters could find that, you know, once the implants are shut down, they only remain shut down for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think could really work, uh, have some interesting ways to work into a role-playing game campaign. Oh, yeah. And you use the mediator as the ultimate bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Make him more badass than just like a, a little kid that, yeah, yeah it was it was kind of creepy how the robots decided to you know put this mediator in and make him look. It was like, but then again, if you go on IMBD and you look at the guy who did the voice of the mediator, they just took him and like digitized him. Mm-hmm. It was it's the guy's kind of creepy looking. <laughs> yeah, the that's the only thing is like the honestly, I especially when you consider this, it was didn't have a huge budget. It was like twenty one million dollars. For which a movie, you know, usually that's, a modern movie, it's usually that's a fairly small budget. Oh yeah, I mean and, some of the big ones like the 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 um, Avenger movies and stuff, they've got like a hundred and thirty, hundred and fifty million dollar yeah. budget. And I thought the CGI actually looked pretty good, with the exception of the Mediator, because usually when you do have fairly low budget movies, usually the CGI looks like crap. But, yeah, it looks like something you can do on your computer. <laughs> yeah, but I actually thought the CGI didn't look that bad in this one. It actually looked no, pretty no. convincing. So, And I think the mediator was supposed to look like that. You it was know? supposed to be fake, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, And they probably the robots probably figured, well, if we have this mediator and we put a human face on it, then you know people are less likely to feel threatened or intimidated by it. So who knows, but... right. Well, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. It Actually, this ended up being a lot longer than I thought it would be. I thought this would probably be a fair – I was telling Chad before we started recording, I was like, yeah, probably be about maybe a 20-minute episode. But I, I think that you know, because we got off on a lot of tangents. So hopefully you guys didn't find this episode to drag too much. But I would like to thank you, Chad, for helping me out with this episode and hopefully help me out with some more episodes in the future. All right. I would, I would love to. Um, and you know, if it is too long and rambling, just you know, people can tell us, and yeah. we can, we can so, try not to digress so much on next one. So yeah, if you do, and if again for the audience, if you do have any ideas for maybe if you've seen some obscure, low budget or independent film on Netflix, and you if you'd like to see us cover it on the show, definitely contact me. You can either go to poigamestudio.com, contact me through there. Or stop at Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook and leave a message. And as I said, we'll certainly be happy to look up any suggestions on Netflix and do an episode about it. So with that said, uh, thanks again, Chad, for helping me out today. And thanks for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And, well, normally I say happy gaming, but we really didn't talk much about gaming. So uh, happy filmmaking. There you go. Or film watching. So thanks for joining us, everyone.